You don't comparison shop? Well, I don't, I'm not looking close enough to read the fine print. I saved one cent per milliliter today. Oh, good for you. <laughs> I buy four instead of one. No wonder you're retired. How much did it cost? $11? This is part of the rant. Are we? I guess we're doing the rant. No, I'm not doing the rant yet. Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we share the tools to improve your finances and we unfold the roadmap to financial independence. It is the Money Mechanic. I am joining you tonight with my usual Jack Wagon accomplices. And wow, you're throwing man. us under the bus already, hey? Hey, you, we, you started the show making fun of me before I hit the record button, so the accountant is with us. Hello, account. Good day. Good day. And of course, The Economist is joining us, and we are remote again, so you... Uh, oh, did you guys see that? <laughs> <laughs> Electronic napkin coming into you. Uh, yeah, I just had a full beer explosion. It is literally all over my computer. <laughs> well, perfect. I now I know not to open mine that fast. Hmm. <laughs> That's your new computer. Well, funny thing, it's actually my wife's uh, at-home workstation. So, <laughs> good thing she's gone. Yeah. Hey, economist. Mm. Who's this round by this week? Oh, I don't have that prepared. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, accountant, what beer are we having? <laughs> we are drinking the Low Pressure Porter from Mount Aerosmith Brewing. Nice. Mount Aerosmith is in lovely Parksville, British Columbia on Vancouver Island. And we have had a lot of low pressure recently with lots of rain. Uh, but it, today it turned around. I see some high pressure for the next week, which is pretty fantastic. And we haven't had too many porters on the beer. Uh, who's reading the back? Too many porters on the beer? <laughs> <laughs> pre-game, pre-game beers. Okay, I'll read the porter, and then we can get going here. So this porter is a rich, medium-bodied porter with a complex blend of dark roasted and British specialty malts. Flavors of chocolate, espresso, and caramel dance on the tongue, while a touch of UK hops adds a light fruitiness. This is the perfect West Coast sipper. Yeah, it's pretty good. Huh? Tastes like a porter does yeah quite a lot yeah i don't mind that i pre-gamed one of our porters and it's actually very similar oh yeah there you go that well that's the black hole ale that we made by mistake correct black mm. hole yeah it's darker than any of the ones we've made before so we kind no, of no light could get through it no light yeah there was gotcha. uh, anyway so this one's from eddie in bc eddie thanks eddie cheers, cheers eddie thanks eddie all right, so I called an audible about 15 minutes before the show today and threw off my co-hosts, and I'm excited to welcome back a past guest on the show who has been globetrotting the world because him and his wife are fire, like officially F-I-R-E, and I think it's exciting to welcome him back on the show, and we just want to kind of get a little update and maybe a peek into what the fire lifestyle looks like especially through this complicated last you know, year and a half, two years of COVID and they've managed to do some traveling. And so we're just going to kind of catch up and, and uh, talk about their fun, their adventures, where they are, where they're going and, and what fires look like. So welcome back to the show, Kevin. Nice to have you back, buddy. Thank you, Money Mechanic. Yeah. And uh, I haven't opened my beer yet. So uh, on the last show, I had a sneaky weasel and I just happened to have gotten and picked up another case of it. Right as uh, Money Mechanic dropped this show on me 20 minutes ago, yeah, five minutes ago, <laughs> yeah, sounds like so, him. Uh, yeah, 
it was it was meant to happen. You you were just happening to buy Sneaky Weasel. You had time to join us on the show. We're all doing this remotely. Uh, we had a show planned that the accountant had like his favorite topic picked out, and we'd all prepared for it. But now that can just get uh, put on the back burner. All right. He always gets mad at me for not doing my homework, and the one time I do my homework, he completely changes the show like fifteen minutes beforehand. Right? Yeah. Well, the dynamic was a little different last time too because we were in the garage and the economist wasn't there. This is true. Now, before we get going on your world travels, the sneaky weasel and the accountant and I were ranting a little bit before the show here. What did it cost you for? Did you buy a six pack or those come in eights? I can't remember. This is a 15 pack. Oh, there you go. Okay. Nice. $20 and change. What's your per liter cost on that? We'll have to do some math. Quick accountant, do that. No. (laughs) $20 and change. Accountant, we were talking about this because we bought the four pack of this under pressure porter. And I was eighteen dollars by it with four. tax with taxes in for four tall cans though, right? Tall cans, yeah. But it's still getting a little out of hand at the liquor store. Like you go in, and even if they're just selling tall cans and singles, most of them are three fifty four bucks for a tall can. Yeah, that's true. You know what the bomber was worth? What nine bucks? What? what? Yeah. Jeez. Might as well go go to the bar, right? Might as well go to the bar. Might as well diamond stud your cans. <laughs> <laughs> or at least leave a Bitcoin code in the bottom or something. There right? you go. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. So this was my rant earlier is because, you know, we do love our craft beer and there's a ton of great selection out there, but, you know, none of us go out anymore. So we're saving money, but that doesn't justify the cost that I'm spending. Yeah. Saving quote unquote, <laughs> saving money paying for you know four packs and i know like listeners in ontario will be like what are you talking about we can buy singles which is pretty cool because part of the problem we have here is i don't know if i want a four pack of low pressure porter to myself you know being have the ability to have single choices is not a big thing in bc yet and it's frustrating because you walk in and you, you know there's these beers you've never tried before and you go that's a large investment on my part to spend the 15 to 17 bucks for something i may or may not like and I think, you know, accountant, you and I were saying is we're making our own beer now. That's kind of our happy craft brew space. Or if you've got an opportunity to get together with some friends and even it costs you a little more to sit down and socialize, it's worth it. And if you're just at home watching the football game, you're going to drink Rainier. Just, just to interrupt, I don't think a four pack of low pressure porter is a investment. <laughs> did I say investment? <laughs> you did. <I> missed. <laughs> <laughs> It's an investment in flavor. It's a rapidly decreasing asset. All right. People have stopped listening by now. So Kev, jump (laughs) in here and just fill us in a little bit of your backstory, whatever you're comfortable sharing with us, how you managed to achieve fire and then, and what it looked like in the last year and a half. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll start with our last episode a few years ago. Yeah. It seems like a long time that we came on and talked about mortgage lending, private mortgage lending. That's right. Yeah, so that was a big part of our uh, investment strategy at the time, getting uh, investing our registered accounts primarily, tax-free savings accounts and our RSPs. Kind of on the side, we did some index investing and and things like that, and, and uh, rent-to-own companies. So having rental properties under a rent-to-own, so the, the tenant, uh, eventually the idea is to get them into the purchase of the house at some point. So this is... So we ended up quitting our full-time jobs at the end of 2019, just before the pandemic hit. <laughs> um, all of our flights, we had booked a whole bunch of travel. All of our flights were 
became like canceled. So we actually ended up, we fired from full-time and then we did a bunch of part-time work, but kind of more part-time casual. So, you, you know, you gave us the big pat on the back for a big fire, but we still kind of have our feet in the fire as kind of casual employees that if we want and when we want, and it's, so somebody will probably call foul on that, but uh, it's okay. It gives us the money to buy your sneaky weasel cases and hang out with you guys. So. I think that's one of the things that, you know, even the accountant and I were talking about that recently and, and myself with some of the cash flow opportunities I have that have caused some issues for me is having the ability to be flexible, to maintain some form of part-time, you know, even if you, you know, declare fire as, as it is, it's super nice and super comforting to be able to say, okay, I can fall back on something for whatever period of time it is. Right. Right. And then about a year ago, things were starting to look better. So some of the countries in the South Pacific started to open up. Tahiti in particular said, hey, we're, we're opening up. And uh, we were in contact with a guy who had a, a catamaran, a sailing catamaran in Tahiti. He was trying to do a, a circumnavigation of the world. My wife and I are sailors. And he was looking for some crew to help him and his family do that. So one thing led to another. We ended up uh, helping him sail. We did an eight-month sailing trip. In the, in the South Pacific, uh, French Polynesia and, and Fiji. We just returned it at Christmas. So, Did you spend any money? Uh, a little bit, but he covered all, like, for the first four months we were on that boat. Um, and then he ended up getting for, like, things were still closed or reclosing. So it, that, that trip got canceled again. But, but yeah, he covered our food. He covered our lodging. He covered a bunch of our expenses. So, I mean, even though we weren't working... You know, our expenses, and we were traveling the world and sailing, our, our expenses went down. So we spent um, $50,000 less uh, this year. And even that's in, even including $15,000 spent to sell our house and move our stuff and marketing phase. So like, really, we saved a lot of money. Uh, and just to show like, there, there, there are lots of different lifestyles that you can, you can live. Even if you, you know, I, I based our, our retirement off what we were spending before, but if we were to keep doing this and leveraging our, our skills for sailing or for whatever, you know, whatever you, whatever anybody has a skill to do, you can, even if you're not getting paid for it, you can leverage that to decrease your lifestyle expenses. Yeah. And I think you're being a little humble in a way because people need to go check out your on, how do you, do you want to pronounce it? Filand, F-I-Land time? Yeah. On Filand time. So it, it's a play on, it's a play on words for like on island time. Yeah. Right. You guys are well, you got a whole bunch of YouTube videos that have documented your trip from beginning to end. And I said you're being humble because this guy covered a lot. I mean, you guys got to stay in, you, you were in LA or San Diego for a whole month and he flew you across there and then you ended up hanging out for weeks here and weeks there. And uh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't at all jealous of all the photos. No, not at all <laughs> in the house. Yeah, we got uh, Janine's actually doing a lot of the editing on that. So mm. if you if you guys are bored and you're, you're interested in, Kind of seeing sailing crew life, what you can kind of do for free. Um, you know, give us a give us a subscribe on on filing time. It helps out a lot too. So, and we created a little website and started a little blog too. I've never created a website, so being being fire kind of opened up that time to learn. You know, how do I create a little blog and how do I do? On, I'm, I'm not a super really techie guy, but uh, you know, you can figure that out. As soon as as soon as you say that, the internet retirement police are just like, oh. That guy's not fire anymore. He's got a YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although you need like a thousand subscribers at a minimum to to qualify for 
anything. And we have like 60 maybe. So we're not getting any money off of that <laughs> yeah. on our website. Sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, been there. Are we over 60? <laughs> oh, we're over 60. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. what was uh what was long-term sailing like? It was good. Again, the the biggest challenge is, is being in proximity to other people for a long time and getting to know them. Um getting, you know, like right. people we we had a really good time and we had you know a lot of support and but uh you know it's always nice to to think you know what i i would really like to have my own boat um, so maybe <laughs> yeah. down the, down the road we'll do that um but it's not in the cards right now because we just are using all our money to uh buy an apartment building so, that's exciting i thought you were going to be gone for like years me too and then all of a sudden you're like <laughs> we're coming back to bc i'm like oh fun right on i'll catch up for an update and but you've been you've maintained your involvement with your investments even overseas, and yeah. we can talk a little bit about that because I think that's an interesting a bit of an interesting discussion for people that maybe have future plans of traveling and then how to maintain and deal with stuff here. And I think we're lucky nowadays with the ability to communicate. Like, how was it to deal with your investments? Because you've got properties, you've got private loans, you've got to deal with lawyers, you've got more complicated than just index funds. How'd you find it? Uh, the biggest challenges were time zone differences, but that's uh, that's manageable. You just wake up or go to sleep at a different time. Even at one point for a real estate thing, we it looked like we needed to get a, a notary. But in most countries, you can find a notary to to do that just as easily as you can here a notary or a lawyer. You know, in Fiji, internet was really, really inexpensive, especially compared to Canada. So, you know, we with with modern technology, we you know we could have our Zoom calls or you know talking to other investors and be on the phone or on a, on a messenger video call, and it was smooth as if as if just like this right as if we were in canada together so no big difference we never in terms of the taxes and everything we never um got rid of our residency so we didn't have to think about non-resident tax and and all that kind of stuff we just basically you know kept an address a mailing address here for the 10 months we were gone and uh, everything was kind of status quo but yeah it really wasn't that much more difficult except for kind of having to be around here and there to, to manage your stuff. Even for index investors, one thing is like the market is is open in the middle. In Fiji, when the market's open, it's the middle of the night, right? So if I'm asleep, you know, from 10 to 6 and that's when the market is open, you know, I'm not doing trades except maybe unless if I get up really early in the morning or I stay up late to, to look at it. But it's not like you're, as an indexer, you're not really doing a lot of trades anyway. So. Is yeah, I was gonna say, is that the best case scenario? Because you can't touch your portfolio because you're asleep, <laughs> right? Could be. Yeah. How was the transition to not earning money from a lifetime of earning money? Excellent question. Um, I can't say that there was no stress and it was all sunshine and rainbows. Like I you know I started to feel like, oh my god, I can't spend. I so I can't spend on this. I can't spend on that. But. You know, and then you look at the bank accounts at the end of the year, and you're like, "Oh, wow, I still went up way more than I spent." You know, mm-hmm. so there's still that mental. I haven't really let we haven't let ourselves kind of just spend our budget yet. We're still kind of like, oh, we don't have an income or like a, a a paycheck every two weeks or every month anymore. Like, it's it's hard to get over that. So that's a really good, really good question. And I haven't got it's been two years 
since we fired and I haven't really gotten over it yet. Yeah. Like let's talk quickly about when you came back to Canada here, you were, you had to shop for vehicle just to get around and do what you're doing here. And that's, it's a relatively big expense in the big scheme of things. And for those of us that are still in the accumulation phase that are earning money, you've got money set aside. You don't really think about it. You know, you can earn more. It doesn't, really occur to you it's like oh we just gotta you know we've got that planned but when you're on that was kind of an unplanned you didn't know what your plans were going to be and then all of a sudden you're like oh we gotta buy a vehicle that's okay we've got the money but mentally how was it mentally you know what it was okay because in the same because i do things by like tax years mm. and this year we sold our other car and our two motorbikes so we actually between those three vehicle sales we received more than we paid for this other car so our net vehicle expense this year was positive let's say like sort of the, so the opposite of an expense it's a credit call it a credit oh the, the account loves it yeah <laughs> tax here perfect yeah so so it worked out pretty well yeah I, we didn't worry about it too much we just got a cheap you know a cheaper older car a bit higher mileage that runs nice um does what it needs us to do maybe pays a bit pay a bit more on gas than we would like but uh yeah. Expenses from an expense point of view, it was, it was good. It was easy. Anyway, lots going on and it's nice to reconnect with you guys. Yeah, it is for sure. So let's dig into a little bit of what's going on because it's been an interesting few years for everybody. And I think one thing that we all have in common here is that we're pretty eager to get into more real estate deals. And that sounds probably very obvious to the listeners because everybody's seen what's happened in Canada in the last two years or yeah. in, in the bigger cities for the last 10 20? years, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, regardless it's uh, I think we, all of us are, are maybe setting aside a little bit more time to get into that. And Kevin, you, you're getting into it as well. We've talked a lot amongst ourselves about interesting plays with development ideas or whether there's multifamily ideas. Now, you're not staying on the West Coast. You're you're moving. You're picking up your life again, which is interesting. You're going to slow travel. You're going to do interesting things. And then, what's your objective for your portfolio? Where do you want to be with, you know, bigger? Do you have bigger properties in mind? What are you looking for? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the reasons we came back is because we realized how it's not that we didn't know. It's just we're seeing you know, the price of owning a boat, especially if you get stuck, like the previous owners, the pandemic happens and you have to moor your boat in a, in a marina for a year and a half and maintain right. your house and stuff like that. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of what ifs and unknowns. So we came back to, to get some more cash flowing investments, bigger cash flow, put it in it. If you're familiar with the Burr strategy, so like buy, uh, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, so you could basically put in a whole lot of money, repair a place, and then pull out your money afterwards. After the fact, our our intent right now we're we're putting a bunch of money into a, a apartment level burr to uh, try and get some income and then pull it out, so we can have some income and have the boat too. <laughs> right, kind of makes sense. Yeah, so, totally. You know, we've looked at. Um, we're really interested in doing a mobile home park development. Yeah. Um, I'm working on it. I'm trying to find something for us. We need to talk. Then. Yes. Yeah. I'm really interested in doing that, but there's a lot to it. And we don't have, I don't have a mentor. I don't know anybody who's actually done a development before. So if anybody like who's listening or watching this uh, knows of anybody who's done it, I'd be interested to, to talk to them. 
for sure. And I know, I know uh, the accountants at least would be interested too. So hundred percent, a good connection. So send it, send it our way. Absolutely. So one of the other things I'm sure people are curious about is when, now that you are no longer working, how's it working with investing in these real estate deals when you don't have T4 income to show in terms of mortgage qualification and that side of things? Absolutely. Um, it's a challenge. And that's one of the reasons we're looking at the multifamily space. So multifamily on a multifamily, if I think, it, you know, depending on where you are and other considerations, if it's, it's like more than four or five units, I think it can qualify for commercial uh, mortgaging. And on a commercial loan, your uh, the rent itself supports the loan without you necessarily having to prove your own income. Yeah, you still put your asset if you have it if you're renting it if it's owned by a new corporation or something like that. You have a, like a holding corp or something like that. You still the mortgage lender will want you know to hold or to have some say on your assets to come after you personally. I guess if you don't pay, but right. I think there's more of a reliance. My understanding is. Uh, there's more of a reliance on the the property itself as opposed to the borrower, uh, and for that reason, we actually, my wife and I, just yesterday uh, created a new uh, real estate investing corporation to hold some interest in a in a couple multifamily things that we're into right now, and we'll probably expand that in the coming coming months and years. But uh, to start it now, you know, get a business credit card, actually get start to get a credit um, history and credit. Um, report, you know, yeah. the ability for that for that corporation itself to qualify for credit. Yeah, history of income in the corporation and all that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So you don't own uh, personal property anymore, so you don't have sort of direct access to HELOC leverage, which is such a popular topic for many Canadians that have you know property values that have gone up a lot and available room to borrow, and that's what they're using to start funding new you know, real estate projects or private lending, things like that. So since that's all gone for you, are you managing to leverage any other way? Do you use interactive brokers because of their leverage rates or tell us what that looks like? Yeah, two things. So interactive brokers, it's interesting. I, um, after Mr. Money Mustache posted his article about buying a house with on margin, essentially, from uh, interactive <laughs> yeah. brokers, um, we, we transferred some of our, basically all our non-registered stock holdings um, to interactive brokers. So that's our safety plan. That said, once we, the bank were, that held our HELOC before we sold, so we sold our, our primary residence in BC this summer and we had a HELOC on it, paid it out when we sold the house. But now we didn't have that HELOC anymore to access for investments. So I approached, what I did, I approached the bank and I said, hey bank, um, look at our history with you. Here's all the reasons why I would like uh, an unsecured line of credit at a really good rate at X amount, and these are all the reasons why you know it's a low risk, low risk loan for you guys. So they actually gave me exactly what I asked for, which is fantastic. So I basically have now I have an unsecured line of credit for almost the same size as my old HELOC. Wow! And uh, the interest rate is not too far off of prime, so we're happy with that, and we're actually leveraging that um, for our uh, apartment building that we're buying. Awesome. Now, did you have to put up any capital for that? Like, do you, I don't know what bank it's with, but did you have to say, I've got X number of investments and it's in a account at that bank and I'll hold it there for 
the duration of the HELOC or anything? So you had to, they look at your net worth. So they're qualifying you on, not on your income, but on your net worth. So you have to kind of say, hey, here's what I have. But at no point did I have to say specifically like these are leverage. I'm not, I'm not actually, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Securing those assets against the right. loan. So you had, to, you had to put up your net worth, but it's not like you're peg- pegging those assets against that HELOC or anything. Right. Because in general, if they were to go, you know, if I was to stop paying and they'd have to go enforce the loan, they would just sue me personally and they would know that uh, you have I have yeah. some assets to cover it. But no right. collateral. You know, no collateral, right. That's Thank you. So uh, you mentioned your safety plan was interactive brokers. Does that basically mean you you have that room there that you're going to use to fund your life if you need to, if if things take a turn for the worse temporarily? Well, right now it's complex because we still have sitting on a bunch of cash from the sale of our house and the investments and in between. So it, yeah, the, the intention is that we'll have enough cash flow that we won't be relying on selling assets. It'll be, you know, well, we'll be able to live on the dividends, interest, and and net rents without having to sell appreciated or, or call it depreciated. I guess if it's an emergency, depreciated stocks <laughs> yeah. or ETFs. But it's, you know, it, it, our safety plan is more more in our minds that someone gets sick or we have an unexpected expense or something else that increases our increases our spending, right? Our, our needs for capital. I got a question that ties into that then is with your reliance on or your reliance on passive income from various sources, do you put a plan in place if a source of that passive income dries up? Like let's hypothetically say you're making a thousand dollars a month from one of your properties and all of a sudden that's gone for whatever reason. How do you fill that gap? How long do you need to fill that gap? And what how do you do that? Yeah, that happens. Actually, this year we had so mm-hmm. I talked about rent to own properties. For example, <laughs> we had you know one one completed. The tenant bought it in accordance with the schedule, and so that we had so we have less rental income coming in this year after that. Another one that we had it was supposed to be three year term. They accelerated it and bought us out after two years. So we got a bit of extra cash at the at the end, but no more income from that either. Right. Right. Um, we had uh, a mortgage, one of our mortgage loans that stopped paying us, and we had to deal with that. That was probably six hundred bucks a month or something like that. So it, yeah, it happens. And how we we kind of look at I, I look at it from a broad view. As long as you've got a, a safety net, right? So let's say you I, these aren't my numbers, but let's say fifty thousand dollars is your spending, and your net your your income from investments is has got to be. At least fifty thousand plus a safety margin, right? So let's say if it's eighty thousand dollars is your is your total income from investments, then you have that call it thirty thousand dollars safety margin. You can lose you can twenty thousand or sorry two thousand dollars a month of of lost income before you really start to panic, and and it's going to happen because you have to you know mortgages they pay out. Keep that thought in mind. We'll just pick that up right where you were. Yeah, where was I? I can't. You said to remember, but I can't remember. <laughs> that seems fair. That's the sneaky weasel talking. <laughs> Did you get into a second weasel? No, I was trying to figure out all the tech stuff here. I, there I was one though. button to click. Click open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our setup is a little weird. Let me send Janine a message and get you more beers. You can't do part two without beer. Okay. 
Hey, I told you I'm not a techie guy, but even me, I could create a website. So you can do it too. <laughs> there you go. Okay, we'll wait for you for round two. Go grab a Bev. You need get me up here. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's the best mid-episode beer run of yeah. all time. That might just be the beginning of the show now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please, give me a beer. Hey, give me a beer. We didn't have to go far. No. No, that was a very efficient beer run. Yeah. Okay, we had to pause the recording and refresh our beverages and refresh the link because we're on a budget here. So we're back here with Kevin. We've all got fresh beverages. I'm actually still working on my porter because I've been sipping it as the can suggested. It'd say that. <laughs> or you're just not trying hard enough. One of the two. Uh, you guys chug yours? No. Oh, he's uh, just finishing his. I'm the only one that got a second beard. After Tantine. you called me out, everybody's still on their first. Tantine. Hey, we, we have, oh, we have all cans. Not, uh, Tantine. Yeah, this one also. But I just opened my second beer. <laughs> okay, that's not fair. We won't do that to you. I do love that the economist crushed his though. But now I have to get a beer. <laughs> we'll yeah, carry on. That was his you. first beer, right? Yeah, but it's, it, it was a six fifty. Okay, okay. I can't believe a six fifty was nine dollars, but I digress. Anyway, let's let's. Where did, get where did that tontine rule come from? Anyway, <sighs> those two jack wagons made it up because we keep talking about tontines all the time. Yeah, somebody must have suggested it after one of your episodes. Yeah, we successfully made it at least two or three episodes without it coming up, but it just felt appropriate there. I had actually forgot about it until you just brought it up. So you've just ruined your own success story because it was out of my frame of thought and it's back. Okay, now I finished mine. My You're supposed to have a lucky logger after a porter, right? That's correct. <laughs> that is the correct. Yeah, that's the rule. That is. I don't have that. I have something different, but I'm good to go. Okay, let's get back into this, boys. Kevin, right before we interrupted there, we were talking, you were talking about how you need a buffer to your cash flow plan. And we yeah. in the in the break, we kind of both talked about the accountant and I and the economist poked up and said, we need to think about this. And there's so much discussion about an like an FI or a fire number, right? And so two questions for you. One is we've talked on the show before about having you know, like a cash flow number that works, which means you may not need, you know, the two million that you need to make eighty thousand dollars a year. You're just utilizing your capital to generate the cash flow. Now, so I guess I guess I have kind of two questions there is if people are going, my expenses are 50K, does that mean my number needs to be 70K times 25? Or if my number is 70K and I'm relying on cash flow, do I need to make sure I have 70K worth of cash flow in case I'm interrupted and I can meet my minimum 50? Like it's being conservative, which the economist hates. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to ask this question in two ways. First, I'm going to ask the economist from your point of view, if your expenses are 50K, either if you're doing 25X or cash flow, what's your margin of error? What are you building in? At 25X, I think you're being too conservative. So if you need 50, get 25 times 50, you have a built-in buffer. That's fair. Okay. Right. Uh, cash flow, I guess it, it depends how close you are to the 4%, the 25X. Okay. Yeah, I can dig that. Yeah. And also, like Kevin mentioned, he's got a plan or he has access to capital in downtime. So 
I think that would be important if you weren't going to in- have a buffer. I would agree. And I'm going to add on uh, diversity. So if you have, you know, if your cash flow you know, to make that $50,000 is $4,000 a month, right? To just barely, just barely to get your 50,000, 4,000, whatever, $4,200 or something like that. Then your, and, and all of that cash flow is coming from one source, one rental building, one investment, one mortgage. And when that source dries up, you're going to be concerned, but it, <laughs> Right. Yeah. But yes, yes, but, I am. To say the least. <laughs> yes, 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 I am. <laughs> or even if it's even if it's say two sources, right? So so you need four thousand dollars a month and you're getting two thousand dollars from two different sources. One of those sources comes up, now you've only got half of the cash flow that you need. Now, if you have if your cash flow is coming from a mix of dividends, interest on mortgage loans, uh, I'm just using my own examples, rental income, that's all I got. Uh, part-time income maybe right so you got you've got other multiple sources of income then if one of those dries up and the remainder still meets all or the majority of your income needs you're definitely less panicked so that's that's a pitch i guess for diversification of your income sources right that's the multiple streams of income if one stream dries up hopefully another one starts flooding and it doesn't really matter yeah exactly well, accountant, you you brought up a good point to me recently because we were talking about the failures of cash flow that I've had, and you brought up that it's like, well, that's temporary. You're feeling the stress of that today, and maybe it'll be that way for a few months until you get that organized, reallocate, reinvest, do whatever you're going to do. So, I think we're kind of all on the same page here. There's there's definitely a buffer, and, and maybe one of the things is that that I've learned is to expect that one could be interrupted and understand that as part of the risk. When did you learn that? <laughs> Not soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> but that, to be fair, that's also why I said I was coast fi and not fire right and i think i think that actually from my point of view is is a really good you know you're still riding with training wheels on when you say you're coast fi because you've got the built-in protection you haven't you know completely severed ties with whatever your main main source of income was previously right so you know kevin you've got that your fortunate ability too that if worst case like the worst case scenario for you is you have to go back to your job yeah and i still have a foot or uh, yeah, foot in that uh, door, or a poker in that fire. Let's say so. Yeah, the bur- the bridge hasn't been fully burnt. That's correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's just smart, right? And now, I, this isn't actually what I wanted to go into, but everybody talks about sequence of return risk, right? As the first, as the biggest problem in the first few years of fire, right, or retirement in general. But if you maintain a working relationship, you keep your skills to date, you're still employable, you can really mitigate those sequence of return risks just by having doing some part-time work. Yeah, 100%. Or you talk about reducing your cost of living. People talk about you know, stopping paying their, some of their, you know, going out to eat, some of their luxury expenses, or, or maybe geographic arbitrage. But um, like we reduce our cost of living by going and sailing the world, right? Or by, you know, our next our next three months, we're going to reduce our cost of living. There's a website called Trusted House Sitters, and we're actually going to do 
essentially three months of looking out to people's houses while they're out traveling and their pets. Um, so living, knocking off that, that top expense on most people's line item, their, their housing. So we're not going to pay rent or mortgage or anything like that. We're just going to be in a new area living in somebody's house. And these are things that people can, you know, there, there are ways to reduce your expenses in, in a down market or a downtime that you don't necessarily have to sell all your assets and, yeah. and screw yourself for the future. <laughs> I, I think a big one that we often talk about is flexibility, right? Like the, yeah. the whole 4% rule of thing that you were talking about mechanic is I'm going to blindly take out 4% adjusted for inflation and walk off a cliff if it yeah. doesn't work out. And yeah. no one's going to do that. If things aren't going well, you're going to adjust what's going on. I was thinking that a show topic might be fire is bullshit. Hmm. It's clickbaity anyway. It is, right? <laughs> tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah, tell me more. No, no, I'm going to just leave that hanging and we maybe we may tackle that on another episode because there's other things I want to talk to while we got Kevin here. Okay. Well, kick me off at any time if you want to get onto your real subject. <laughs> oh, there's it. We're well past that. <laughs> you, you're an avid listener of which we appreciate, but you know that 2022 is the year of just boys in the garage having beers. We're, we're done trying to be professional podcasters. We've been doing this long oh, yeah. enough to realize that we never are going to be, and we're just going right. to embrace who we are. Well, you've got another podcast for that. It's like audio editors and all sorts of stuff. Exactly. I don't need to be that professional here. No, one of the things that I wanted to get into. So when you were on the first episode uh, with us, and I had to look that up because you're like OG on the FI Garage. You were episode or interview five, which fits in around episode 12. Like you were early days here. And you did talk a lot about private lending. And you spoke earlier in the show about you know, looking for a mentor for, you know, multi and development in real estate. And I really have to thank you for being a mentor to me and helping me get into the private lending. And I've had mostly good experiences with that. And you've had a lot more experience. And I just want to dig into a little bit of maybe uh, an example or a bad experience you had and how you dealt with that. What that looked like to you kind of emotionally um, and stress point of view and, and, the resolution. You don't need to make this a two-hour novella, but just kind of because I think a lot of people, when they look at private lending, all they think of uh, is the risk of you know foreclosure or bankruptcy and things like that. Just a yeah. little. What's your been your experience on it? Uh, so my experience is still mostly good, uh, and and it's been great to uh, introduce a couple of people to it. Uh, in addition to, or sorry, including you, money mechanic. I think. We've actually uh, agreed to get together on a, a deal or two uh, as well, and that's been it's been it's been nice to have people you know and, and thoughtful people to get into investments with. Well, um, let me just let me just pause you right there because I didn't even yeah. I forgot to mention that 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 is something that I think a lot of people don't realize is that you know the the deal structure around private lending can be done so many different ways. You know, and whether you're using registered money, like we talked about in the original episode, or whether you're using leveraged money just as a cash option, you can partner with somebody. And one of the things that really, really helped me was being able to analyze the deal with a knowledgeable person and say, hey, we're both putting an equal amount of money into this. And you can you can really rely on some experience and go, okay, it, it always feels better when you're sharing the risk with somebody. 
So yeah, for people that are interested there, you know, find ways of connecting with like-minded people in, in that community and you can work it out. So sorry to interrupt, but move on. All right. So at last, uh, last time we interviewed about mortgage lending, I told you I'd done some 20 some deals and never lost a dollar in a, in a private mortgage loan. So the second statement, never lost a dollar in a private mortgage loan still stands. Still, <laughs> still good, except for syndicated mortgages. Oh, okay. Syndicated as part of a, a large, like I'm talking about not one or two or three people, but who you know, I'm talking about like maybe, you know, 70 people who you don't know going together on a, a big property development or something like that. So right, way back in 2014, I invested in one of these and I've, recently it's recently matured and been through the courts and stuff and we lost some money on that so i'm not i'm not into i say a bunch of money really it's marginal compared to in the big scheme of things so so one lesson i learned from that is not to really get into an investment like a mortgage investment that i don't have any control over right which is why i like these private loans where it's just me or me and my wife or me and the money mechanic or something like that, right? Where we you have a degree of control, you can talk to the other lender and come up with a, a solution to the issue. We have had another um, another mortgage since since we interviewed. We have had another mortgage that um, so we've done thirty nine uh, in total now so far. We had one that they just um, stopped paying us, and they stopped paying the first first uh, mortgage as well. So we were lending on a second mortgage. This mortgage was in the province of Nova Scotia, and I learned a lot about foreclosure law in Nova Scotia over the last year. <laughs> yep. um, so, I mean, at the end of the story is we got all our money out and uh, and all our interest, all, all our principal and all our interest that we were owed and all the legal fees and everything else because we exercised the, you know, when we had analyzed the deal, we exercised the, the risk mitigation factors that, that we talked about. So... You know, we only loaned up to a certain percent loan to value. It was a fairly low, fairly low loan to the value of the property at the time. We checked on the borrower. We made sure the property was in decent shape and sellable and that kind of thing. So we ended up actually going, this is our first one. We've had to actually go through the entire process of a foreclosure. And uh, that property was sold to a third party at a uh, court-controlled foreclosure auction, public auction. And then the first mortgage got paid out and we got paid out. But there were some complications in the whole thing. It did cause a little bit of stress because even though our mortgage was only $65,000, um, we just the way it works in Nova Scotia, we had to come up with the funds to pay out the first mortgage. So we actually had to put forward an additional $400,000 and then claim that expense back from the bank or from the courts. As a, So... Another lesson learned there, if you're really into the details of mortgage lending, if you're going to lend in, in, in Nova Scotia on second or third beyond mortgages, just unless you have a whole ton of capital sitting around, don't lend behind big first mortgages. Otherwise, right. you're going to have to come up with a, a big amount of cash to pay them up. I, we were just lucky that we could come up with it because we just sold our house last summer a few months before we had to pay out this expense. So we kind of, we didn't invest it. We held off knowing that at that time that this was coming up, but Nova Scotia is unique. Not all provinces are like that. Every province has their own slight differences in uh, foreclosure or power of sale proceedings. It, in, the, in the unlikely case that you have to foreclose, 
uh, or, or enforce your mortgage. Um, so we did have to go through that for a while. We were not getting our monthly uh, income from that mortgage, but in the end, it came back to us. Uh, we just had to kind of put lawyers to work and do emails and phone calls and banking stuff. So it's not totally, it's not a pat, 100% passive investment for your lending. There are things that you will have to do or things you have to think about. Yeah, the only truly passive investment that I know of is buying an ETF and getting the dividends out. Okay, so to follow on to that, that I mean, that is interesting. And I think at the end of the day, uh, a couple key points there. And for listeners that have any interest, they should go back and listen to our first episode and then also do a ton of other research to learn this stuff. But you mentioned loan to value, which is super critical, right? And you also mentioned understanding the process and the provinces. And I guess just a follow-up question from that is because I've been offered some opportunities in other provinces, should you have done more work understanding the the legal process in Nova Scotia before you did that loan, or maybe you knew it? And I guess the question is, how much time should I be spending learning that legal process in other provinces? I was often one recently in Alberta, and I, I did a little bit of reading, but you know that's kind of spending 20 minutes doing finding what you can find on the internet. At the end of the day, to just come down to like, oh shit, here we are, let's all, like hire a lawyer, and I don't want to have to learn everything. Yeah. So life is short. You can't know everything. The time flashed a bang. Let's say you get a. Uh, you're working with a broker that is sending you deals. That deal could be in any province and you won't necessarily know everything about that province. And the flash to bang from when you receive the deal to when you have to kind of, you're expected to it's quick. say yes or no to that deal is pretty quick. You don't have the time to go to law school and learn foreclosure law. In, in that <laughs> province, right? You so, can do that online now. How hard could it be? Yeah. I mean, every problem has a potential solution. But you sometimes only discover that problem and and that solution when you're in that when you're experiencing that problem. So yeah. that was the case for us. I don't regret doing that mortgage loan in Nova Scotia, even though you know best case, yes, you know you know the entire law, you know everything. But how many people can say they know everything about every company that they invest in in the in the stock market? That you know that zero percent, zero percent. Yeah. I just have VQT. I don't need to know anything. <laughs> yeah. So to me, to me, like compared to buying a stock, like having a mortgage loan in a province where I'm most likely to not have to foreclose on it. But if, if I do, you know, I'm sure like I, I can, I can kind of trust that the laws are designed to not to be totally up that I won't get my excuse my language. I don't know if you can say that on this show, but we can beep anything. Can. You can beep it. Okay. No, so, we're not beeping anything. <laughs> yeah. So you can that that legally you have a contract and and your rights should be protected in some way or there's something you can do to to at least get some recourse, right? So and that's what a mortgage is, is to protect a lender for giving out their money to somebody else against the property. So you have the security of the property. It's just the processes and how hard it is to to get through it. And, and, and to be honest, we, we wouldn't have, we shouldn't have had to pay out that money in Nova Scotia, that extra money. If the lawyer hadn't forgot to put a specific thing in a specific <laughs> document that was filed, it, it should have gone directly <laughs> to the first mortgage shouldn't have come from us. Right. But if there wasn't that third party, then we would have had to pay them out. 
moral of the whole show have contingency plans contingency plans yeah and and just know that problems will come up and then and know that there are people who have gone through those problems before and you can work through them you can find solutions to them yeah so i think this ties in both with the mortgage lending and just with generally you know pulling the plug on active work is have you increased the amount of cash you're sitting on for instances like this where you might need to put it to work or there might be an unforeseen expense or there might be something that comes up and you need that cash to be able to solve a problem? That's hard to say, like I say, because we sold our house. Right. And so we're sitting on a bunch of cash, which is one of the reasons of buying apartment buildings and built this company because I'm afraid of inflation and I want to have some assets. And I, I think being f- afraid of inflation right now is a very logical fear. Yeah. So to follow up on the accountant's question, once all that cash is put to work, what is your current plan to hold as your um, you know, protectionary cash holdings or your buffer, your cash buffer, cash wedge? They call it all different things. Um, I think a few months of our expenses in a checking account and then the uh, interactive broker's margin amount. That's yeah. pretty aggressive. So, I mean, I say a few months, that's that's total months of expenses, not net of our income. So, because we're still getting dividends, oh, okay. I'm still getting some interest payments, I'm still getting. So, that's right. that's kind of like if I need to make a big purchase or something, I'm not, I'm not borrowing. There's very low likelihood that I'm going to have to borrow from it. Uh, that makes sense. Unless I want to buy a boat and then we're going to have to see what happens. But uh, probably going to have to refinance boats. Yeah. Not the type of boat that I'm looking at. You've got crew over here. I'm, I'm good at serving beer. I can make cucumber cream cheese sandwiches. Yeah. Uh, a chef is always good to have on a boat. The accountant's an excellent fisher person. Where are you going to get cucumbers? I got cucumbers in <laughs> French Polynesia. There you Did go. You? And Fiji. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Oh, hey, let's before we wrap up the show, any notable beers you tried while in the South Pacific? Oh, that's a great question. Well, each... Each country has its own kind of iconic beer. But are uh, they not just all like the typical overseas lagers? Yeah, I guess so. No uh, microbrews anyway? Fiji bitter. I'm sure there are. It was more the rums. It's oh, the rums oh, that are unique. You did yeah. go to some rum places there in your videos. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yes, yeah. the rums. Don't they have like a special name for the little like village rum huts? Am I? I'm just making this up. I think you're making it where maybe you're talking about somewhere else. I don't know. Huh? I thought I, all right. Well, good. Yeah. Talk. They have proper distilleries and stuff, but oh. like bounty rum is like 58%, which is, Ooh. yeah, we made the mistake of having a drinking game. It's not smooth. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were wrecked. I ended up, you know what? A, a dinghy, one of those inflatable, like Zodiac things that anyway, it yeah. makes a great, place to lay down in like a recovery position i ended up sleeping on the one with my face looking <laughs> into the water one night it was great <laughs> never again bounty rum don't drink it straight unendorsed <laughs> <laughs> right on well it's been a pleasure having you back on the show kev good luck on your travels from here on and i'm sure we'll follow up good to update on the you know the private lending the real estate i know you're big on all of that stuff and uh 
it's good. We've kind of leaned a little bit more that way in the FI Garage too, because we all want to be in, you know, cash flow investors and, yeah. and get there eventually. So yeah, I mean, awesome. Congrats on the year, the year and a bit that you did have abroad in probably the hardest time, hopefully, yeah, that we see in our abroad. lifetimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's more expensive actually with all the COVID testing and everything. That that's that's one thing. It, yeah. It's more expensive to be abroad and to go country to country, especially COVID test before you leave, COVID test on arrival. How's, how's the front part of your brain? Is it a little smaller from all the PCR tests scraping it out or what? Yeah, actually, I don't <laughs> I feel like I can't remember some stuff. <laughs> That's the sneaky weasel, buddy. Or the bounty <laughs> rum. That might be the bounty rum. Might the be rum. The bounty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. I, it's nice to catch up with you guys. You bet. So where can listeners find you if they want to catch up or reach out to you? Uh, I have a place this time. So I have a website. <laughs> it's uh, on filandtime.com. So on filand.com. And our website, our contact information is on there. That's also where we link uh, our videos and stuff from our travels. We're still releasing them, actually, because we were a couple months behind, although we've just returned to BC a couple weeks ago. And we should subscribe to your YouTube channel, right? Please subscribe. Correct. Yeah, it, it probably won't make a difference unless you, know, unless you have like thousand viewers who are going to subscribe no you're our only listener so <laughs> <laughs> i was listening to you guys off offshore you know where that volcano erupted there in tonga yeah i was probably oh, yeah. listening to the fi garage when i sailed across that nice Perfect. you guys were right in that area oh yeah yeah oh, wow. like the charts they all when you're going over there it says like uh volcanic volcanic activity volcanic activity on the like the seabed 2019 i guess they had some volcanic activity it put up a bunch of like pumice yeah, in the water, which yeah. is like this really like light vault. It's rock that floats. That's what light. ladies use in their bathtub to scrub their toes. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> see that on beaches and stuff. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Okay, so have you reached out to any of the people that you met while you're down there that were there since that volcanic eruption that happened a week ago? Yeah, yeah. The, the tsunami. So those people are in Fiji that okay. we reach out to because we we couldn't actually stop in Tonga because they yeah. were still closed. Right. Uh, we got some internet and cell phone off of them when we when we went by, but uh was that was that where they were doing the the military flyovers of you? Uh that was French Polynesia. Okay, that's French Polynesia. Okay, yeah. 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 We had the la- we had the ladies on the bows. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> oh, they they're coming out to check out the chicks in bikinis. I can say without question that was 100% the pilot's idea. I've worked with enough pilots mm-hmm. to like Yep, low pass. Let's go check the sailboats out. <laughs> yeah, these fighter jets, they kept yeah. coming over. Next time we're going inverted, boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, I mean, is that was that a concern for you when you were there? It's like, hey, we're going to be on a sailboat and there could potentially be tsunami. Or, I mean, I know if you're in deep water, it's not a big deal at all. But if yeah. you're in some of these very shallow morges where you're like, some of those morges look like they're in like 30, 40 feet of water. Yeah, but they're close to deep water. Okay. Too. So, right? you, so you if you were on your boat and and you kind of get I don't know how the tsunami warning system would be. In I'm sure they places, must have but, speakers. Uh, they must have like horns in those places. Yeah, most most places that are in a tsunami risk areas will have signs on the beaches and things yeah. like that as well, but Yeah. But yeah, you could yeah, you know, first thing would be if hey, the water starts receding. Yeah. Like, get, oh, get something's going ground. on like yeah, get out. Away. Yeah. Get out to deep water. Right? Well, or if you're on land, get to high ground. Yeah, you guys weren't down there for really any of the Pacific storms, were you? Like nothing, no, nothing major. Yeah, 
No, in the South Pacific, cyclone season starts in November and it's in March. So we left in December and, and nothing had happened yet, but they've had a couple of small cyclones in the last few weeks. It was the weirdest thing when we lived overseas in Bermuda. We knew a storm was approaching because you know what it's like, right? You know it's coming. It's like the most, it's it's the most dramatic event that has the slowest and most undramatic buildup ever. Because you're like, <laughs> we've got a 20% chance today, and then it's a 40% chance this thing could hit you because it's got its curve through. Yeah. But yeah, when the ones are coming close, the receding water is creepy. And and right because it's fairly close to the actual storm hitting you, and the birds are gone, the island's quiet. Everybody's boarded up. Nobody's at work, and you're like, "Okay, time to back Calm before down. the storm." Like, Is that where that came from? Literally, it's very, very yeah. literal. Like it gets super, super humid, super quiet, and the water kind of just like sucks away from the island. You're like, "Oh, that's weird. That's the lowest tide. That doesn't <laughs> seem normal." <laughs> that's not good. Yeah, and then you get the storm surge like the day later with the storm, and it's like, "Oh my god, there's water everywhere." Yeah, no, interesting, super cool. Yeah, I'm glad you guys got to do that. The videos are pretty fun i was watching the one you had of uh snorkeling and swimming in the caves that reminds me oh, of Berm- yeah. bermuda too because we there's a ton of caves it's a limestone island as well so like swimming those caves like that water is so clear it's unbelievable yeah some nice things to see yeah for sure absolutely now we're Looking just making the next trip jealous about not being able to leave uh, our home <laughs> <laughs> well they can leave they can leave there's no reason if i can do it you can do it well, fair enough. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you just have to have a lot of things up your nose. That's what I found. Not a, <laughs> not Coke. Well, <laughs> you know that the account made it all the way to Antarctica since we talked. Sure did. Really? Yeah. Making what were we doing in Antarctica? Penguin yeah, mating rituals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Can you do That's the cool. dance for the YouTube? Uh, do the penguin dance. <laughs> YouTube. Is there a dance? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, there is, but <laughs> how not did you? How did you and your wife not do like a penguin mating dance on the ice in Antarctica? You'd be on TikTok. You'd be a TikTok hero by now. Yeah, I didn't need to be a TikTok. <laughs> That's not really a place that I want to put myself in. Was that like a cruise or a uh, expedition ship? Yes, yeah, a well, cruise ship. <laughs> Well, I think that's pretty loose calling it an expedition there, buddy. <laughs> well, it had 170 passengers and then like a bunch of Zodiacs on the back that you'd hop onto the Zodiacs and go rip to penguin colonies. And yeah, you had it way better okay. than Shackleton. Okay. So oh my God. Tourism, fact, after being down there, the fact that Shackleton survived is absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> like there were moments crossing the Drake passage where I was like, we're not going to survive. And we are on an expedition ship that was built for this. Yeah. If anybody needs a good book, read endurance. It's the story of Shackleton's. Yeah. Amazing. How, and not one of them died. Unbelievable. Do you guys want another link? I'm not in a rush. I got nowhere to go. I'll send you a link. Are we officially in overtime? Like I can just, we can keep going on overtime for sure. Perfect. I'll try to be faster at responding this time. Yeah. Okay. Stop your video for a second. I want to see what your image is when you stop um, video recording. Just just press stop video. Oh yeah, there it is. Okay, yeah. that's it. Yeah. It's the helmet, uh, the hel- helicopter mechanic Hel- helmet. Yeah. We thought it was an army dude. It's okay. You can uh, start your video again. It's like who's the army dude? And then a picture that shows up for like a fraction of a second. That so that picture, the story of that picture, because there are going to be listeners here. That was when we were in the jungle in Peru. There was uh, four helicopters on that job down with us. 
And yeah, it's actually, it's funny because it's one of those, you know, candid picture, like not like when you don't know you're getting your picture taken or some of the better pictures. I was just like walking back up our gravel kind of operation area there and guy snapped a pic of me. And it's the nicest thing about the helicopter business now is that they actually provide you with helmets because we never used to have those. They actually provide you with David Clark communications and we use a Bluetooth communicator. David Clark's talk- nice. Yeah. yeah. I can talk to the pilots and I can like, it's, it's awesome. Cause we got two buttons on our uh, radio communications. I got one button. The pilots can hear and one button only the engineers can hear. So oh. you got to know which buttons to press because sometimes yeah. when you're, you know, trash talking the pilots, you don't want to be on their channel. <laughs> really? <laughs> if you're trash talking the pilots, you don't want to be on their channel. Well. So wait a second, wait a second. You were down in Peru with four helicopters. Are you like, this is like tears of the sun. You're bringing, dropping insurgents or special forces or some stuff. Are you like, uh, kind of, uh, I'm not at liberty to discuss that. I thought you were taking a trip to the Irish bar. That, well, when we talked about that just recently, didn't we? Yeah. I did go to the highest Irish bar in the world and it's in Cusco. So there you go. And I must've gone to the highest microbrewery in the world too. Cause it's right next to the Irish bar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they're not claiming that. Maybe there's a higher one. The account might have like left some beers up in the uh when he was in Nepal and yeah, left some beers over there. No? Uh Are you ignoring us? This is overtime. You can't ignore us in overtime. I'm not ignoring you in overtime. I'm just getting my ex- excessive food order ready. <laughs> oh, yeah, all your uh sweet and sour pork. Oh, I'm so excited. How much is the total? Currently, it's seventy three dollars. <laughs> That's Chinese food for one. For one. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> Listen, it has been three years since I have been out without my wife in the house. This is she doesn't like Chinese food. I haven't ordered it. Aww. I don't order it when she's not around. She is gone for the next week. So this is my food for a week. Okay, so for the listeners at home, what's on the order? If you want to play along at home, if you want to play along at home, so far I have wonton soup. Who doesn't love wonton soup? Chicken chow mein, a meal, meal. barbecue fried rice, sweet and sour pork, and ginger fried beef. I need food used to be cheap. You just listed five things and it was $73. 73, yeah, no, it's outrageous. That's still a reasonable price. That's only $12.50 each. Well, it's not cheap. No, it's like thirteen dollars each, yeah. and like the ginger fried beef is seven. Not the mask guy. <laughs> yeah, what? That's clear. To go uh, with your twenty dollars six pack. Janine, get me a beer. Kevin, <laughs> Janine, can Janine, I get a beer? <laughs> order some Chinese food. They want beers. <laughs> they don't understand how headphones work. I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of Chinese food, okay, so Fiji. Little known fact, you could get like a, a fried rice or a chow mein. What were you saying? Twelve fifty Canadian? Yeah. No, thirteen dollars. Thirteen dollars. No. Screw no, fourteen dollars. Fourteen dollars. Oh, that's a whole case of the that's weasel. All you guys. <laughs> it's the weasel's den. 15. I love that. And she's leaving the box. <laughs> she's leaving the box behind. Ooh, overtime just got long. <laughs> Six dollars Fijian at a restaurant. So you Which go is- which, Which is a Fijian dollar? Uh, 60 cents 
Canadian is a Fijian dollar. So, so like it's four bucks. Like four bucks. Four bucks. So we go out to dinner for twelve bucks Fijian, which is like eight dollars. She gets a chow mein, I get a fried rice or stir fry or something. Nice. So twelve was, Fijian, eight dollars Canadian. I was gonna ask you that what you found is the general cost of living down there. You guys probably spent some money on groceries and things like that. Yeah. And I I always found, you know, I mean, Bermuda is definitely different than the middle of South Pacific, of course, but any island nation is going to have some premiums on their groceries. What did you find from buying similar stuff to here? You know, veggies, accessibility, and the cost of them. Uh, it depends on what country. Right. French Polynesia is very expensive because it's right. a colony of France. It's basically Europe. Uh, things are costly. Uh, wages are high. Wages are high. That's that's it. Yeah. Fiji, yeah. maybe that's it. Economists. Yeah. So Fiji wages are low. Cost of things are low. I think it's three dollars Fijian or something like that is their minimum wage, right? So you call it two dollars Canadian an hour is is the minimum wage in, in Fiji. Oh wow, that is low. Yeah. Um, so Fiji is very inexpensive. It's a former British colony. There's you know accommodations. It, it, if you can spend a lot of money in Fiji, you can spend a lot of money. You go to a, you go to a resort um, and you want to pay two thousand dollars a person a week. Easy, right? Yeah. But, yeah. If you don't want to do that, you can just rent a place like in town for 15, like a house for 1500 Fijian a month. So 900 Canadian a month, hmm. a couple families, a couple of groups there and buy your groceries at the market. You know, you get a big bowl of the thing is it's the food that is imported isn't cheap, but it's not really expensive unless certain things are, but they, they, they have, because it's a tropical nation. They have production year-round, lots of fruits, lots of vegetables. It's a very productive society, and, produ- and, and the islands are productive. They don't really export a cash crop, though, do they? Uh, French Polynesia, they export vanilla, okay, mm-hmm. which is kind of their, uh, one of the big cash vanilla and like coconuts. coconuts um, yeah. Fiji, have you heard of kava? Yep. Oh, yeah. What's kava? Kava is a drink. It's like their national drink, and it's oh. uh, it's it's basically a ground up. It's a root. Mm-hmm. It's a root, and they drink it. They call it grog, and they sit around and drink this yeah. thing in the, instead of alcohol. And it's like a mild sedative. Grog is what I was thinking about. They have like little local grog houses, don't they? Yes, they have grog okay, houses. That is what I was thinking about. Now we're a travel show. I may have some kava <laughs> if you guys are interested. <laughs> So the real question I think that comes out of all of this is when are we renting a house and living for a month in Fiji? A month? Only a month? Two months? Right. Okay. I don't hey, listen. How long does it take to get there? One I don't, year, buddy. I don't have it, a big. It took me coming up starting negative three hours to get back. <laughs> <laughs> I love time zones. <laughs> negative three hours is my favorite answer, but it costs. Yeah. But it costs you twenty-seven to get there. Yeah, yeah, it would cost you sixteen plus twenty-four. It costs you a lot. Yeah, so the, you're still net negative even by the time you come yeah, back. Yeah. yeah. We, if we can get the speed of light or speed of light travel down, then you can actually go back in time. Hyperloop. Let's Hyperloop. get Elon working on that. Yep. I'm running to get another beer. I'll be right back. You should. Right. Did you feed your dog? Your dog needs food. You should feed your dog. <laughs> West Coast teas. Nice shirt. <laughs> the dog might not make it. Yep. <laughs> So one of the things, I mean, we talked a little bit about this and just in general, how 
much qualification do you need to become crew on one of these boats? Because you sent me a message and you're like, hey, do you want to be on a boat that goes from wherever you were, Tahiti to French Polynesia? I'm like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> is, is this an option for regular, like quote unquote, regular people? Yeah, I, I actually made a post on that on my website. So perhaps we can link to, to that that post on our talk to the guys that do the show notes. Accountant? Show notes. Accountant, you got you got a link to the website and the post about how to become crew on a very boat. Needy dog right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> also camera shy. <laughs> yeah. Guys, he hasn't given me dinner yet. He's an asshole. <laughs> Little does he know he's getting Chinese food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's not dog. Yeah. I'm going with a uh, Salish Sea Pale Ale from Arizona. Oh, we could have got that one. Yeah, that and I would have had it in my fridge, you shack wagon. I'm on. I'm on prime time, boys. Like we're, we're like we've been aiming for all our lives. Who's that again? Prime time. This is Bridge Brewing, which I presume is downtown Vancouver. It just uh, it was on sale. I was. I was dis I was disheartened by all the high priced beers, so I picked one that was on sale that I hadn't had before. Uh, no complaints, to be perfectly honest with you. It's uh, it's as advertised. It's an IPA. It's not exceptional. It's not disappointing. It's just an IPA. I have no complaints on this lucky lager. So I kind of diverted your question there, Rob. Uh, um, money mechanic. Yeah. Um, just saying, just copping out and saying, going, it, it, yeah, I'm like, what's, what's his name again? <laughs> Earlier yeah. was Money Money. I was curious <laughs> if he meant Money Money. Money Money. But yeah, they're all sorts of, so just like the trusted house sitters thing I told you about, there's websites like you don't necessarily have, especially have boobs, you don't need a lot of qualification <laughs> to be a crew on a sailboat. Especially have if you have boobs. Qualification. Let's, Let's not try to spiral into a <laughs> show that we're going to have problems with sexist comments here. It's not sexist. It's actually, it's, it's proof. Go to these websites and see people looking for yeah, a yeah. woman to, to spend the, like to, to go sailing on. So anyway. they, they may not want to take them up on that though. Nah. People do. If people they're do. Specified. They do. They do. Well, to be fair, my wife is currently away because she's in Bamfield on a uh, Canadian Coast Guard course for, for women weather hand for, for women. So, oh, are she on the riot course? She's on the riot. She's, yeah. on, she's on riot right now. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Have you, so have you done riot, Kev? No, not a, no. I haven't. Not officially, but it, yeah, I hear that's a good course. Yeah, she's she's currently rioting, so <laughs> I figure I can get myself onto any boat with her abilities. I mean, yeah. I can't do anything, but that's irrelevant. I can fish and drink. So what we did, we took a couple of weeks and got and learned how to sail. And then we did some bare boat charters ourselves. We basically got a group of friends say, Hey, economist, accountant, uh, bite me. Uh, you guys want to, uh, come, <laughs> come in and join a boat and, and we'll go sail around Thailand. So we did that and we shared the expenses of like a catamaran and sailed around for a couple of weeks in Thailand. We should also do that. Yeah, I don't, totally. I trust one out of three people here boating but here's the thing janine and i were the captains the rest of the people on the on the boat didn't have a whole lot of experience at the start but you know you're sailing every day or every other day you can kind of if you're interested in getting involved you you do yeah mm -hmm. otherwise we'll name you dinghy captain and or bartender and you <laughs> yeah, <there laughs> hang you out. 
<laughs> we, uh, yeah. we met a couple uh, on our Antic antarctica journey that had just bought a 42 footer um the day before they left and they're planning on leaving in september and circumnavigating the globe and we were like well when you need crew yeah i have no skills whatsoever but you give me a call and i'll be right there (laughs) well that's the thing a lot of people uh, who have boats if if they're looking at doing if it's a one person or two people and they want to do a big ocean crossing they realize like they the sleep demands on that are a lot. If you're yeah. going to be on watch for 12 hours of the day, plus meals. And so, you know, being up to change sales, sale plan or whatever, like yeah. it's, it can be a lot. So it's good to have more crew for, especially yeah. for passages. So people who will post on these websites, um, I've named a bunch of them in that article. We're going to post uh, how to, how to crew on someone else's sailboat. Yeah. Um, you, there, there are there are lots of opportunities, and that one I was talking about for you is it was a really big boat. So this guy's a massive surfer dude. He sold his boat. It's a big catch, so a two two mast sailboat, oh, cool. sixty some feet, and you know he he was looking for people to do watches. Right, they didn't yeah. need to have to be necessarily be super sailors, competitive sailors, or anything like that, but to be able to you know be on a watch, learn, um, keep an eye out for stuff, do some cooking, that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, it ended up taking them a month to get there, but now they're in Indonesia. Yeah, I had the opportunity. Well, I didn't have the opportunity. I wanted the opportunity. There's the uh, we the company I worked for while well, we did live in Bermuda was a big sponsor of the Newport to Bermuda race, which is a yeah. fairly famous that sailing race. Yeah, and they race all the way to Bermuda, but then most of the crew would fly home, and those boats would have the skipper and you know a couple hands and need three or four people that really don't need to do a whole lot, but just do a three-day crossing back to Newport. You know, it's a lot slower going the other way against the um, the Gulf Stream, right? Yeah. So I was like, yes, definitely hook me up, <laughs> get me on one of those boats to go back. It just never panned out. But yeah, there's. I, I know that there are, having lived there. and Is that because you didn't sign up? Uh, it just, it filled up. Like those things fill up, right? They only do the race every yeah. couple of years. And it's by the time you kind of know about it. And I just wasn't keen enough of that time and ready. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, I definitely want to do that. And I just never did it. Well, not all boats are created equal either. Yeah. Right. So you Those don't boats wouldn't be that to... comfortable. Yeah. 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 We had this mech, this boat come down to Fiji. It had sailed down from, it was a racing boat, racing, racing, racing boat. Yeah. Like, and it came down from Hawaii and we saw it in Fiji, a bunch of Mexican crew and they were super friendly, but their, their living accommodations were very Spartan. Very yeah. like, yeah. you know, they don't, you know, we're coming from a catamaran. We got this big bed and our own toilet, our own bathroom. And there's another bathroom on the other side and a big galley, like big kitchen. But then these, this boat, you go down there, there's no windows. It's all carbon fiber boat, super dark inside. You know, they're cooking on one of these little, like they're boiling water on one of these little camp stove things. Yep. Oh, um, they, they have no toilet. So they're like pooping in bags or, or squatting over oh, the side. Nice. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, they've got, anyway. No, yeah. thank, no thanks. But those are racing boats. Yeah, yeah that's, what, that's boats what you were going to sign up for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could have done that for three days, but not for like an extended period of time. Okay. Yeah, not oh, for months. So that's your limit? You'll poop in a bag for three days? Or more than three <laughs> days is no good? I, I haven't really set a limit on that yet, but that seems like a reasonable place to start. <laughs> You're probably pushing my limits after three days. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, you know, the best way is just jump overboard and let the little fish uh, clean you up. That's yeah, not the best way. Shit floats yeah. and floats towards you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let, let, let's not talk about shit stories, diving or floating or swimming or oceans. All right. Not, not that I have any. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bold face lie. Yeah, <laughs> it, it could be. But this beer is quite tasty. What did you think of the porter? We didn't even cover the porter after we were done. No, I like no. it. <laughs> good. I, the, I the porter was good. Our, it I tasted like a porter. Porter is just as good as that porter. I think a lot of our beers are now just as good as other beers. I'm bringing you some uh, Bev's tomorrow, Kev. Oh, really? Oh, are these, nice. what, do you got, what are you bringing them? Best Coast Bev's? Yes. Best Coast Bev's, probably a, probably a Kolsch, a porter, and an ISA. What's the definition of a porter? Dark, deep, dark, and handsome. <laughs> it sounds like the uh, money mechanic just agreed with your brewery name there, accountant. It did. Yep. Yeah. That's just official. Get That's it. Get it to the lawyers. Bit. Get it to the oh, lawyers. I've already taken the website. I own that. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> oh yeah. So well, this is so our original discussion tonight, as I texted you, was supposed to be about buying yourself a job. So now that the accountant says he's leaving his work in seven weeks, he's been preparing himself to leave that for the last at least seven weeks, trying to figure out what his job is the day after he leaves his job. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing so good. <laughs> I, to be fair, I've committed to zero things though, so I'm doing okay. I've talked you down off the work ledge a lot of times. Yeah, I've I really need to get off the work ledge because I don't want a job. But uh, well, at I'm some okay. point the light bulb will come on and he'll be like, "I don't need a job. I'm I, the job is no job." Hey, I got a I suggestion. Yeah, why don't you book a flight to Fiji <laughs> for the day after you quit? See, the thing is, is that my wife still likes her job and she'd be real pissed if I just left town. She just left you for two weeks on Riot. No, a week. And doesn't she work from home? No, not starting in February. They're back in action. Oh, that's rough timing. Yeah. Rough timing. Uh, It's actually kind of great timing because now I get to be home alone and she'll be (laughs) at work as opposed to the opposite. Well, let's be pretty clear here. I mean... Kev, you're moving forward with bigger and more complicated real estate investing. And, and that's our, all of our goals as well. And if you don't want to call that work or a job, then don't. But it, it occupies your time. You're doing deals. You're self-employed. It's, it's 100%. It's no, work. you're right. You're right. I've been freaking busy this week. Yeah. It feels like work. Yeah. It's, you know what it is, though? It's working like a lion. Like you're going to sprint, you're going to make a kill and then there's chill time. You've done what you needed to do for whatever happened. That's and a then, good, good saying, eh? The accountant. Working like, like a lion. Quotable. Yeah. Working yeah. like a lion. Hmm. I, a hundred percent stole that, but that's fine. Oh, if did you? you? Uh, oh, did you? Where from? from Where from? Uh, that was from, I think it was from Chamath. Okay. One of the all in guys. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. They're much smarter than I am. Economist. You've heard that before? No, I didn't hear it this time either. No. Working like a lion. No, it's, I mean, that's, there is no, like, 
I don't think anymore there's such a thing as retirement. It just becomes like, okay, I need to make some money. So I need to put money to work. So I'm going to do a bunch of work to put money to work effectively. And once that is done, then I'm going to get a six-month, 12-month, 24-month break because all of my money is at work. And then the next thing that happens that draws my attention is either one of those loans broke or something happened and I need to go back to work to put that money back to work. Good summary. Yeah. Nailed you got to go hunting again. Exactly. You, see, the lion thing works. You got to go <laughs> hunting again. You've eaten the whole carcass. It's bone dry and you got to go hunting. I really like the analogy we're going with here because like, it's frustrated the hell out of me that I've had capital sitting ready to deploy in an RSP account that's earmarked for that, that I can't really do anything else with because of this cost of operation. And it's like, I've been hunting and some of the prey that I've seen is not worth going yeah. after. Right. So it it's an interesting one because you're like, okay, make great returns when I make great returns, but long periods of drought. So just be prepared to expect that, right? And it's like, okay, and don't, yeah, don't take, don't, don't take the first opportunity that comes along, right? Like I've turned down two opportunities now on that account just because I'm like, I just can't do it. I'm just like, it's not; those aren't for me. They're not for me, and you just gotta wait it out, right? So, uh, money mechanic, let's talk next time we see each other, and I think that'll be soon about um, other options for putting that to work. Uh, I think I've I've talked a little bit about it, but yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, it, it was a bit of a. I think initially when we talked, I was working almost exclusively with um, bro- through it. brokers, yeah, and now kind of going direct to borrowers through invest investors, and and I, yeah, it's a bit more work, but you can you can generally a place place a deal on your timeline and have more control over it and. <laughs> It was. It felt really outside of my comfort zone at first, uh, but I found a good source, and I think uh, I think you'd probably benefit from it too. Yeah, one of the things that we didn't talk about during the real episode, and I don't know how much of this will make it into overtime, but the I've seen now that you know much more involved in it, and you know I've talked to both you know the economist and the accountant about it before. Is like the prevalence of promissory notes out there. And, yeah, there's a lot of promissory notes. Right. And it's like if you've got a great borrower and you believe in their project, you believe in the property, you know that there's a good loan to value there and you, you think it's up and up. Like the one I was looking at was a land deal in in um, Ca- uh, Cranbrook. And I'm like, but it to me, I'm just like, Ugh, it's a promissory note. I don't know if I want to go there. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part right now. Is like, especially if you're just doing a cash deal, so you can't do those with the the trust accounts anyway. No. But yeah, just like cash deals on promissory notes feel really sketchy. So there's still enough mortgages out there that you can you can place yeah. it. It's, yeah, I, I had a year of almost like my entire TFSA lending, which was earmarked for lending, being. You know, I had something like seventy thousand dollars sitting doing nothing. Yeah, which is crushing and, in the like the last year or so that you're like, oh well, so much for thirty percent returns in the market. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but in the end, it got placed. Right, you know, deals fall through and it happens and it happens and it happens. But in the end, in the big scheme of things, you're still you're still coming out ahead. And yeah. So I, I still like them. You know, they're they're not perfect. Nothing is. 
I think what my problem is, is the most recent ones that I've been offered, you're, you're basically doing a debt consolidation style loan. And I can look at a property and kind of make a basic evaluation of its, what it's worth. But I have a very hard time making an evaluation of that person. And I know that person is kind of irrelevant, but in my mind, you have to, because at that point, they're the ones that have to make the payments. And if they don't, then the property is the backup. And I'd yeah, much you, don't, rather, you don't want to take their house from them. No, exactly. You, yeah. Exactly. So I'd much rather do, it's like, okay, somebody's a professional real estate investor that's doing a burr doing a flip, doing a multifamily, yeah. doing whatever. Like one of the things that I'm starting to learn is that these multifamilies is they'll go, they'll have a bunch of equity positions, but they don't want to dilute it too much. So then they'll be like, okay, we need 200K of private lending that we're going to pay out for two years. And then we refinance the building and everybody's back to their, like, it's, it's more complicated, but it's more interesting, right? Because you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. There's actually something there that I don't mind lending against. Well, and that's what I found with like the development deal that I'm partly getting involved in right now is like on a development deal, you expect to double your money. So paying 15% on the loan portion of that, shit, sure, we'll pay 15%. I don't give a shit. Cost of business. That's the cost of doing business. And that's the cost of not of being able to double your money. Like if, if you equity the whole thing, well, now you're getting a 50% return. Like, sure. I'll pay 15%. It, it's a short term. It's two to three years till we can chop up all the lots. And there you go. There's, there's your 100% return. Cause I gave somebody else 15 and the 15 partners sitting there going, well, I don't care. Like I, I'm not involved in this. I don't have the yeah. risk of all the other costs. I'm 15 good. Yeah. Yeah. 15 yeah. good. Okay. Nothing to balk at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's, I'm, I'm learning more and more all the time about how these deals are structured in creative ways, right? It's like, there's potential, there's equity there that can be shared out and split up and that costs something. And then you're like, okay, if that, if we don't want twice as many shareholders, then maybe we carve off a piece that's just for private lending. Cause people want like a one or two year turnaround and you can move in and out of that quickly and yeah, no, it's it's all about learning that creative financing for sure. Does uh, private lending hurt your chance of getting your first mortgage though? In uh, a commercial space? Oh, good question. I don't know. You mean if you are a private lender or if, oh. you're, if you're structuring a deal with private lending? Yeah. Like following following the first? Yeah. So if if you're um if you're looking for a first mortgage and part of your plan is private lending to as come your, up with like the down, down payment. payment. Yeah. I that imagine that would. would hurt your that 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 would for sure. But yeah. generally if you're at that point, you're you're getting the like in a development deal anyway, there is no first mortgage. And like the development word I've been looking at, we are just getting a first mortgage and the rest is equity partners. But the other option to that would be if the bank isn't going to lend to you, you just you second like not second mortgage, it would be a first mortgage, but it's just a high rate mortgage yeah. to private lenders for the whole thing to get yep. the deal. Yep. Yeah. Easier so, to close on a place when you can lend when you can not have to go through traditional mortgage lending and qualify on your T4 income or any of that other stuff. Yeah, right? Like exactly. Well, so here's a question for you then, Kevin. We're working on a mutual deal as well. And my understanding was that deal was supposed to go through as a 
commercial mortgage. Yeah. And, and yet here I am providing a ton of documentation. You were the one who was telling me to, to cool it when I was like, questioning <laughs> that. <laughs> no, you're right. But no, I like, that's where I'm a little like, so I thought we were going through as a commercial mortgage. So then if it's a commercial mortgage and maybe the accountant can answer this is if, if you're going through as a commercial mortgage, it's based as you said earlier on the rents and the return of that building, but all the um, equity stake partners, do their financials matter? I guess they matter to the, per- the initial purchase of the building and then it's refinanced as commercial. Like it, I don't quite understand how that works. Well, for the, so it's entirely dependent. So like we, the commercial bird, buildings that I've bought, they have given us commercial loans based on the business's financials. So like we're still meeting ratios in the business that I have to send them my notice to reader every year from the opera, the opco, both the hold codes and both the hold codes for the two buildings mm. to make sure that we are within the ratios that they need so you're qualifying as a business already. But that's because we are the tenant of that property. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as the tenant of the property that is paying the rent up to the hold code, they're like, well, we're not just going to like give the mortgage on that. If like you guys are a garbage business that isn't going to be able to pay the rent. My understanding is that if you straight, like if you're buying a 42 unit, apartment building nobody involved in that purchase should matter because if you have a big enough down payment and the rents cover the mortgage to whatever income level they need then it's dead it doesn't matter yeah in our case the justification i think was that it's a a brand new corporation that's that's buying this building and there's no credit history there's no business there's no uh financial history or reports or anything else, but even though there are rents that should qualify on it and the building itself, anytime the borrower is new, they kind of want the borrower corporation is new. They, they kind of want the directors or the, the major shareholders of that corporation to be, you know, responsible for that, for that personal guarantee. Yeah. Personal guarantee in case for whatever that corporation declares bankruptcy, they have someone to, to get their payments from. So that's entirely going to be a loan to value issue. So my buddy in town that is a commercial lender and like, that's what he has done for years. He was saying buildings will qualify on their own based on what their stated rents are. But if you want to lever higher than that, then you will need some guarantees from the people coming in. So he's like, like okay. I've sent him a couple a couple buildings and he's like, regardless of what they're asking for that, the current rent roll of that building would qualify for a $700,000 mortgage. And if you want to go higher than that, the people coming on board will need to be able to prove that they can handle higher. Than that. uh, that's interesting. So maybe we're not at the 70, 30, cause it's probably got to be at least 70 loan to value, right? Do you, yeah. Do you know what the LTV is for just the building? Good question. I was just thinking that because I don't know if they got the full amount of investors. So that well, would change. And, and this is what he was saying is he's like, every building will have a like, as long, like 
this is the mortgage we would give on that building if nothing else was attached to it. Mm -hmm. And that can like, depending on the building, depending on the quality of tenants, depending on the location, that will change drastically. Hmm. But like I sent him one in James Bay that they were asking $2 million for. And he's like, baseline, I could qualify you for $700,000 based on the rent. So like not even 50%. That's only only 35% loan of value. Loan to value based on the rents. And he's like, now, if the people coming on board were able to qualify for higher, I'd be able to get you higher. But like, because that entire building is under market rent, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that somebody says it's worth $2 million. The market rent is only six grand a month. I can only give you 700 grand on six grand a month. Right, 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 right. And so it's entirely dependent on like the commercial is way more just to like, where are your ratios? And if your ratios don't meet what our risk levels are, then other people are going to have to come on and be there for that. Hmm. Okay. That's good. That's interesting. That's good to know, actually. Something to think about. Because Yeah. And that one we were looking at, it was that they were planning on an 80% loan to value, which but, is really high for a commercial mortgage. Mm-hmm. Which is, that's super high for a commercial, which is why I'm betting you guys had to put up all your info. Yeah. And the other thing too is, is like, you hate it because you get the performer and you're like, okay, that's what it could be. That's projected. And so you sign up and you got your deposit out there. You have no clue what it's actually going to be when all the dust settles. Yeah. Right. So that's where you're believing a lot in the deal maker. That's By the it, way, if it's just go ahead. Economy. I followed up two more times and she didn't send me that thing. Really? Hmm. Yep. Huh. But I mean, if it's substantially different than what like in the end, if it's substantially different from what it was uh, pertained to be, like if there's some some major differences, they say like, oh, this this performance that they're assuming they can get two percent financing, and now it's a five percent financing and seventy percent loan to value, and blah 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 blah. There's all these big things that now you have negative cash flow, and you don't have any, you know, those are big things, and those are justification that you could you could sue her and get your deposit back at the very least. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. which is a lot of work to get, you know, fifty five hundred bucks back when it all comes down to it. Like nobody's gonna go to small claims for that for fifty five hundred bucks. It'll cost you more to get it back. I would. I'll do it. I'll f- do it. Yeah, <laughs> do it. That's why we're doing business together. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, you know, if you need to force Epic Alliance into bankruptcy, you force them into bankruptcy. That that's not what he's doing though. Oh yeah, yeah. What's going on with that? There's three minutes left, and you want to get my three-minute rant on Epic? You get it now. <laughs> One-minute rant. One-minute One minute. rant. Um, yeah, there was an investor call last night, and it was it was interesting because they basically just come on, and but they were pretty somber, and they were just like, promissory notes, you're screwed. Fun to flip. Here's the property. There's first, second, and third mortgages on it. You guys figure it out together. And make sure you put insurance on it because there's no insurance on it. And hassle-free really? landlord people, you can pick up your keys next week. We'll give you as much information as we can for property managers, contractors, tenants, lease agreements, everything. We'll give you everything we can. Don't call us. Our phones are off. That's the best we can do. Wow. They're so, just dropping no, the ball. Yeah. Nope. So they're they're completely bankrupt. Yeah. And the the big question that I have, and I'm sure this will be settled in lawsuits in the future, is how much money got funneled out into their own operational hold costs. 
Yeah, it's a valid question, right? I mean, nobody works for free. You know, and that's how let, let's not be uh, disingenuous here or say that they were trying to m- make a heist out of it. Everybody pays themselves for the business that they run. Right. I never, I never said they were trying to rip people no. off. I don't think that they were smart enough to understand that the business, the model that they were running was not sustainable. Fair. I think as we, you, we've we been in a 10 year bull market, right? Too big, too big, we too fast, too much cash. Your bull market. Yeah. And the cash flow didn't work for downtimes and you hit a little blip in downtimes and it all blew up. Yep. Basically. You got a new house. I got a house. Congratulations. Got a house. Wow. New house. New house. <laughs> you going to move? I'm, hey, it might be the fire plan. Cheering for the uh, Rough Riders for a season. Where is it? Saskatoon? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've ever been that far north. I, I maybe have, but yeah. Here, <laughs> we're out of time, and uh, this is the longest overtime ever. So, Kevin, thanks for being yeah. on the show. Conmus, Con. Thanks for your invitation. It was a blast. We'll thanks, talk, boys. We'll talk real yeah. soon, gentlemen. Good night. Catch you later.